is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. Today, I am really excited on the podcast. I have a runner, an author, and a dog lover. Nita Sweeney, how are you doing today? I'm really, really good. It's really great to be here. I just leaned down because my dog just started barking. So you might hear her, Scarlett, the 99% good dog in the background there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, my husband was like, oh, who do you have a podcast with? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk to someone about um, running, writing, and dogs. So it's going to be great. It's like all of my favorite things. So I'm really excited. Let's get started. So have you, um, have you always been a runner? No. Uh-uh. I began, um, okay, so let me back up. I used to run in my early 30s. It was all about losing weight. It was all about control. It was all about speed. And it was really miserable, quite frankly. And then um, more in middle age, as a result of, um, I don't know, just kind of some hard times. I do have some mental health issues. And I was going through a really depressive period. And um, a friend had started running, someone my age and I thought, my goodness, maybe if she can do this and is finding joy with that, I can try. And so I did. And I set a digital timer, one of those little kitchen timers, for 60 seconds. And I went out and I ran for 60 seconds and then walked for 60 seconds um, with my dog because I couldn't do it by myself. And uh, that was about nine years ago, almost 10 years ago. And I, I just took to it. It just was the thing. Um, I slowed way down. I stopped caring about um, external stuff. I still care sometimes, but I just had to start where it was comfortable. And it's been, it's almost like a completely different thing. It's nothing like the running I did when I was much younger. So no, I haven't always been. <laughs> yeah. It's really, okay. So I actually just wrote something today about um, interval training that this is the first marathon where I'm telling myself to actually know Jacqueline walk, like specifically telling myself to walk and not thinking of intervals as something that just beginners do, but rather this is how I'm going to complete my next marathon and allowing myself and telling myself to walk. I have so much less pressure on myself and there's not this mental gymnastics happening before I go out for a run. Like, Oh, I don't want to do it. It's just, no, just go do it. Like it's fine. So previously, before you were doing this, um, what did running look like in your early 30s when you were doing it? Oh, it was just a, it was just a drudge. It was, it was about running as fast as I could, as hard as I could, just for a period of time. I didn't do any races or anything like that. I wasn't in that world at all. Um, and, I mean, it was sheerly, it, it was often, um, um, I want to say like a punishment because I'd eaten something I didn't want to, or I had eaten something I wanted to, but I ate way too much of something that I was concerned about. And um, so I had to burn that off. Um, I think I was getting some mental health benefits that I didn't realize because I did get a little bit of runner's high, but it was much more about um, making sure that I was burning the calories. And now it's just completely different. It's just a, yeah. I still have days where I do hard workouts, but there's no, uh, there's just no punishment to it at all. Yeah. It's much more joyful. And about the intervals too, I'll just talk about that. When I first started running this time, I did intervals with the intention of working my way out of them. But over the years, I've come to do intervals regularly. And now 
the last marathon I did, I was all intervals. Um, I'd set my watch for intervals and ran those because I find that it helps me not use the same muscles so I don't get as tired as easily. It gives me a little mental break. Oh, it's time for my little walk break. And um, I don't know, it just, it just feels like something I want to do. There are days when I go out and just continuous run. But uh, with the intervals, I don't feel any shame in it at all. You know, I, there used to be kind of judgment. I think that's really falling away. And I, I have found it very, very good for my body, just easier on my body. And, and, uh, and I still can do the distance. And my third marathon was actually faster than my second. And I did intervals. So, you know, go figure. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have in their head, oh, you're not a real runner unless you're running the whole time. Um, and I see that, like, I see that from people. I see that from coaches sometimes too. Um, but it's like taking care of your body, like giving yourself that recovery time while you're actually running allows you to actually do it and enjoy it. It, it has been really good for me. Like I said, I know that I, I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of your mileage may vary where you have to figure out what works for you. I'm not going to win the race. I am not going to qualify for Boston, although I do know people who have, who do, you know, intervals. Um, so I had to figure out what worked for me. And right now that works for me. I'm not saying it will work forever, but right now, it, you know, it's what works. So I'm, I'm happy that you found something that seems to be working for you right now. You know, go you. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, so, okay. So in your thirties, you're running and it's only about speed. It's about punishing your body. Um, not really a happy relationship with food or with exercise. What happens over, you know, the next decade with exercise and with food? What did that kind of look like? I pretty much quit everything. I, um, I mean, let me just give a little background. I was, I was a partner in a law firm at the time. I was working really long hours and um, eating a lot to sedate my emotions, essentially, you know, emotional eating. And then I had a nervous breakdown. I mean, I just kind of drove myself into the ground. Um, I probably should have been in therapy, possibly on medications long before I was. And um, so after I was in the hospital, it was almost as if something just snapped and I went out for a run one day and I just couldn't do it. Um, I didn't think about, oh, just slowing down or just walk. It was just, if I can't run as hard as I'm used to, then I'm a failure and we're done. And uh, so I would walk, but I really didn't have any kind of meaningful exercise for a long time. We lived in New Mexico for a number of years, and I would walk with the dogs, and you know, sometimes we'd hike and things like that, but the, it was nothing really regular. And then um, in my, uh, I would say, maybe 10 years after that, I uh, did a dance, um, it's like a movement thing called Nia, and um, that was really good for a number of years. But again, it just didn't, it didn't have the same kind of thing, camaraderie, structure, whatever that running has now. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what it was missing. I just knew that I didn't really miss it a lot once um, it was gone, once I stopped doing it. And the teacher that I really liked retired from teaching it. And you know, a lot of different things happened. And so I let that fall away. And then we had this year, which I actually have written about where a whole bunch of people I loved died, and a cat, um, all in 2007. And I really slid into a horrible depression. And so I wasn't, I was barely able to walk 
the dog around the block. That was just, I was just in a bad, um, you know, call it couch potato, whatever, but it was, it was a pretty major depressive episode again. And that's where uh, things turned around when I saw this high school friend was running. I thought, my goodness, she's a year older than me. She's at least as large as me. Cause by then I had gained a lot of weight. I was really, really emotionally eating. And, you know, I'd done the whole diet exercise uh, thing before. And then I just did the, the diet binge, diet binge thing and um, punishing my body, not, not realizing what I was doing. And so when I saw her, it just gave me this hope and it took a while. It wasn't the same day or anything. Um, but I took the dog and out we went and uh, that was sort of the beginning. And it, it took a long time. And I think the, the interval training program I was using was supposed to be nine weeks to a 5k. And I think it took me 20 weeks, but <laughs> before I got there eventually. So. Yeah. So, um, I'm a big dog lover. I talk a lot about my dog. Um, she's old though. And so running, we did a 5k with her a while ago, but I think that sadly running is not in her, um, anymore, but tell me a little bit more about running with your dog. Cause that's, I mean, just having a relationship with a dog is life changing. And then to be doing the special thing with your dog. It really was wonderful. He, um, was a yellow Labrador. Um, at the time, I think he was about four or maybe five, and he did the interval training program with me. So he started running for 60 seconds and walking for 60 seconds, and you know, we did that warm up and then the warm, you know, cool down, and he just loved it. And he was very, he was a very methodical dog, and so he had this gait that was consistent and I would watch his back. I, I wrote about that where I would watch his back and his tail and how he would just move along the ground, you know, just very smooth. And I thought that's the kind of stride I really want because it didn't take long. I'm kind of a researcher and it didn't take long before I was reading every running book I could get my hands on and of course I read Born to Run and all that. And so uh, when I would watch him run, it was just so placid and peaceful. And um, and when, the joke is that when I first started, quote, running, he didn't even have to break his walking stride to keep up with me. That's how slow I was yeah, yeah. running, but didn't matter. Um, and he would look at me. If I stopped, he would sort of look up at me like, what's up? Are we going to go or what? And then, of course, even before we ran, if I accidentally hit the timer or picked up my shoes or anything that had the trappings of our workouts he was right at my side and he would come barreling across the house he'd be clear on the opposite side of the house and he'd hear a tiny beep and just come zooming across the house go 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 wanna go you know run 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 and uh, so he was just a, a you know like a friend a fellow traveler and because he and i did it together that bond was even stronger than it already had been we'd worked up together Eventually, I joined a running group, and he, the running group was large enough that I didn't take him just logistically. It was too hard. Um, but even, even then, I think he did he, – he could have gone many, many miles longer, but I think the most we ever did was maybe eight or nine miles together. But, uh, you know, we'd plan a route so that there'd be water where I could get a water dish for him or there'd be a fountain that had the little doggy dish in the bottom and just made sure that he always had what he needed and I'd have my – gels or other food stuffs that I took on a longer run. He'd get a little kibble snack and, you know, we had our whole routine and, um, and, uh, he ran 
until I think he was 12 or 13 when finally he had to stop. And we slowed down. So we would, like I would take him maybe for a mile or two miles once he was older and then come back and uh, go for the rest of the run by myself sometimes. But he uh, really, up until the end, when he, we would walk even, he just, he wanted to run, but at the end of the last couple of years, he just couldn't. But he was, he was a special dog. We have another dog now, Scarlett, who is, she has her own hashtag. It's all spelled out, the 99% good dog with no numbers and no dashes, because she's really, really bad. <laughs> but she's just a baby. And so we're, she's two now. But um, she and I run um, now just, you know, short distances. And she's going to be a great dog. She just is a baby right now. So, you know, she'll never, be, and she'll never be Morgan. He was just a special dog. He was like a one-of-a-kind dog. So. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the camaraderie and like the relationship building that happens during running, which is so interesting because I think a lot of us, we think like, oh, it's an individual sport, right? You're there by yourself. Can you tell me a little bit more about that relationship, like with your dog, like how that helped you um, and even the races and the running group, like those different communities that you found? Well, I'm an off the scale introvert. So I actually surprised myself at enjoying the camaraderie with the dog. I mean, he talks to me, but you know, I'm mostly making that up or reading his, um, uh, reading his gestures and his looks, his facial expressions, his ears perk, the way his tail either droops or flags, things like that. And so when I, um, heard about half marathon training, I, I'm in a group called marathoner in training out of our local fleet feet store, fleet feet and front runner here in Columbus, Ohio. And when I heard about that, I was very hesitant because I don't really, I mean, it's not that I don't like people. I just get exhausted by people very easily, very, very easily. I have to have a lot of alone time. And what I found was that when you're on the trail, you have to be two by two. So you might hear somebody else's conversation, but you really can only talk to the person beside you. You know, you can't hear, you can't really have a whole conversation with the entire group. So, um, and the other thing is, I mean, there are days still, if I'm not in a good place, I might, you know, I'm in a pace group, we're divided by paces, I might run ahead or I might fall behind so that I can be alone, but I know that there's people on the trail. So there's that aspect of it, which really surprised me. The other thing with the group is the structure of the running schedule. So I know, I mean, I can go online and find a training schedule. There's tons of free training schedules. But to have other people on the same training schedule talking about, oh, this is our long run. Oh, we're this far into the season. Oh, this is a fallback. Yay, whatever, you know, wherever you're at. Or, oh, this is a long run. Yeah, let's go get it. Um, To have that... Uh, we, we do that mostly in Facebook groups or um, there's actually a group on the uh, the marathoner and training website. So you have that kind of sense of camaraderie and I can dip in or I can pull out. And so I can um, kind of use my own emotional state um, uh, kind of as a gauge to how much I want to actually do it. Lately, because of some great things that have happened, I have been traveling a lot and so I'm not with them as much, but um, it's just good to know that, you know, Saturday morning, um, we'll be out there and uh, I may not want to get up at, you know, 6 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever. Right now we're running at 7, and so sometimes I have to get up at 5.30 or 4 or 5 o'clock to get there. Um, but they'll be out there. And the same thing on, you know, usually Wednesday night, sometimes Monday nights. Um, 
um, that's it's just really good to know that there's other people out there. So it surprised me because I am a very um, kind of solitary solitary person. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important. I think once you leave college, and maybe if you're not like in a mommy group, like it's hard besides the people you work with, like who else do you become friends with? How do you make friends? How do you build a community? Um, and running is just so unique. Like you just find people from all walks of life that maybe you wouldn't talk to normally. You wouldn't ever find yourself next to. Yeah. I've lived in Columbus, um, this time I've lived in Columbus twice. I've lived in Columbus this time since 2000. I, there's maybe two or three uh, people in a group of 700 people that I'd ever met before. Yeah. And the other thing is that because we have running in common, you know, sometimes we might about talk about um, the things like politics or religion, but usually we're talking about running or we're talking about um, where we're at or what our goals are. We'll talk about our kids sometimes, but it doesn't, it, it, a lot of times the things that um, are more divisive don't come up or we just choose not to talk about them because we focus on the thing we do have in common, which is our love of running. And that has, um, that makes us much more of a fellowship than, you know, like even work with work people, you have work in common, but that's not something you necessarily want to take home every day. I mean, some people do, but it, but it's, um, it is the, the running fellowship's definitely been a great thing and it's, it's different. And I, I, I wonder if it's because of the people that are attracted to running, the type of personalities that are attracted to running. Um, there are extroverts in our group, definitely. You can, you can spot them a mile away. But there are a lot of introverts, too. And so it's, uh, it's kind of a place for the geeky, socially awkward people to hang out and have something to talk about. So that's how it's worked for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I could see that. And I also think, too, that For a lot of people, running is the thing that when they have, I mean, for me, it was uh, when something in life isn't going well and you're just like, I just need something for me. Like I need, like I was not happy in my career and it was like, well, what's free, free, before you start doing all the races and the shoes and everything else, but like what's free and easy to do. It's like put on some sneakers and go outside. Like it's so easy to do. And then you have that thing for yourself. Whereas like, you know organized team sports you know it just it is that like kind of that gateway into like everything else yes it was for me i had invested a lot of money and a lot of things that i did not stick with not just exercise but art and you know a lot of things and uh so the idea of just putting on um shoes walking out the front door choosing the time of day i wanted to go because even now, even though I'm in a training group, I don't do all my runs with them. And so, you know, am I going to run today? Am I going to run tomorrow? That's my choice. So it feels very, um, I don't know, individual and, and like I'm in charge of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, and the free thing was really good too, because I just, like I said, I, you know, we had the uh, trampoline in the basement. Um, we didn't, we had a treadmill once. We didn't have that anymore. There was the universal weight equipment set, the, you know, I mean, we just had yeah. all we'd done all that stuff. And so it just seems so simple. It's funny now because we all laugh about how our, you know, cheap, simple sport. But, um, but yeah, it was. And it still can be. And there are, I'm in a, I'm actually in an online running group called the Dead Runner Society. Um, and a lot of these people have been running for decades. 
and some of them, you know, they still wear cotton shirts and it's fine with them. They don't care what the latest style is or what anybody says. And they don't care water on their runs. They just go out the door and go. And it is really, it can be really, really simple. It's just what you make it. So, mm-hmm. so you wrote a book. <laughs> I did. What's the name of the book? It's called Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink. Mm-hmm. And it was published by Mango Publishing on May the 15th. And it is a dream come true. It really is. It's, uh, it's been just kind of amazing. So. I want to talk about the process of this for a little bit too, because I read, I read a little bit on your website about this. Um, it didn't happen overnight. You weren't just like, I'm writing a book and now it's a book and everyone can buy it. <laughs> well, that's what it looks like from the outside. Yeah. But right. no. What is it? The, um, the overnight success is like yeah. 10 years in the making. 20. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes. So I have been writing, I've actually been writing professionally since, and you can say since maybe 1982, because when I was an attorney, the thing I was really good at was writing. And um, um, so I found jobs where I could mostly do research and writing. And after my nervous breakdown, um, I had always wanted to write creatively, but just didn't think I could make a living at it. It wasn't practical, all those things you hear. So I started writing and I have actually written 10 books there in various stages of first drafts, really crappy first drafts to a different one. That's I'd say it's 75% done. And then um, I have another book of uh, daily meditations that I've written a um, first draft of. So I have all kinds of novels. I've written all kinds of things, but this book um, it feels as if three things happened at the same time. One, I believe because of the running and especially the marathon training, I built stamina that I didn't have, both physical stamina and emotional stamina, stamina, probably mental stamina too, that I didn't have before. And so I was in a place um, where I was ready to push my writing to the next level. I think the world was ready because we were ready to start talking about mental health. And that's the angle. While this is my running story, I mean, it's a, it's a couch to marathon. I would say it's a couch to marathon story with some panic attacks and you know, major depression thrown in for good order, but um, for good measure. Um, but it's, uh, it, it is a mental health journey. That's what it was for me. It's the, the story of, you know, how I use running to manage my mental health. Symptoms. So the, the world was ready to hear that. Um, 10 years ago, I don't think it would have been. Um, And I found the right publisher, a publisher that could see my vision. And Mango is relatively new. I think they're maybe five years old, four years old. Um, And then I I met their editor, Brenda Knight. Uh, They have many, they have several editors, but they're acquisitions editor. So it felt as if those three things had to come together um, to push it out the door. But yeah, I've always wanted you know, that's kind of been my dream was to have a book with my name on it. And people ask me, why didn't you self-publish? Well, that was the, that was plan C and we were at the end of plan B when Mango appeared. So, um, um, and there's lots of really good self-published books. I never want to disparage, just, you know, self-publishing, but I wanted someone else to help in part because of my mental health issues, because I knew that I wasn't sure I was up to all the pieces. It's, there's so many pieces and who knew you know, I've been in this kind of writing world for many, many years, um, but until I actually got a publisher 
and have been going through the process, there's just so much I had no idea how to do that you even had to do. And I'm still learning. I still have these emails with my editor. Oops, didn't know that. Learning, you know, lesson learned. <laughs> I have those kind of emails a lot. In fact, we're probably going to have a call soon about something like that. So, um, so it's still a learning process, but it's been, it's been very exciting. It's also been a bit exhausting. And, um, um, you know, I think it's like any dream come true. It's never exactly what you imagined it would be, but I am just eternally grateful. I'm just so grateful I can't really even express it. So mm-hmm. thanks for asking. Yeah. So I want to talk about, um, there's a statement that I really love that was really helpful for me. And that is, um, failure is not the opposite of Failure is not the opposite of success, but rather you fail like a million times on your road to success. Um, and yeah, do, do you do, uh, does that resonate with kind of your journey? With <laughs> I will give you some numbers. Yeah. I pitched 108 agents. I, I don't, I probably got of the agents maybe 50 rejections and the rest I didn't hear from. And, and that was, some of those were back and forth, back and forth. You know, they made suggestions. I pitched 132 publishers and maybe got 70 rejections, a little higher percentage. And I entered 30 contests and I have one book and I was a finalist in one, the book, not me, was a finalist in one contest. Um, and then I was nominated for um, an Ohio Arts Council Award. So that was a nominee. So when you think of it that way, I can think of all those as failures. And some days it was so hard. I'd come home and my husband would ask, how's it going? And be, I need to go run. I don't want to talk about this. Because, <laughs> you know, the rejections would come in or you just get nothing, just yeah. radio silence. And that's hard, but that's normal. That actually is normal. Yeah. And once I realized that was just normal, I just had to go through it. Um, but it, it was... It was something that I had to normalize. I had to realize that not having people respond was normal. Getting people say, this isn't right for us, or we don't think this is ready yet, or um, we don't think the market can handle this, whatever they say. They have all kinds of things they say, and the bottom line is no. But they have to, you know, they, some, sometimes they just say no. But most of them have to feel as if they have to give you some reason. And... Um, I just had to go on and keep moving on, on to the next, on to the next. And I, I just, it was amazing. I mean, I was, I, I really was screaming um, when I got the email finally that said, that I, I have a quote. It's, I made a screenshot of it. It says, yes, we want to move forward and publish your book. It's just, I mean, I, you just don't even know what that word, those words were like. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so powerful. Just even just to hear those numbers and those stats, because I think that a lot of us think if we try it once, and it didn't work, then it's not for us. It's for, you know, oh, it's for other people, but it's like, well, no, like those people that it did, whatever it is, worked for them. They actually tried like 170 times or whatever until the, until it happened. Well, and I, I it, it's possible that if I'd been um, less stubborn, a little smarter, I wouldn't have had to have that many submissions to get the book published because I was learning as I went along. But the, the other book that I have that I, I'm not going to work on probably for a number of years, but it was a memoir about my father. Um, 
And it felt very much done. But after eight rejections, I gave up. I just felt, just like you said, I thought, oh, this must not be the right book, or this isn't for me, or I'm not, you know, I did, I usually do the I'm not good enough thing. And so I had to kind of crawl back from that. And I, it just wasn't the right time. Um, maybe that book wasn't done yet. So there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I need to step back and see, but I don't, you know, just don't give up. If that's what your dream really is, don't give up. Find a different way. Uh, find a teacher. Find a, you know, a, a, a different project. Find a peer group. But um, um, if that's really your dream, I hope you pursue it. Cause yeah. It's kind of amazing when those happen. So I talk to a lot of women who also feel like um, if it wasn't, maybe they're not happy with what's going on in their career, but they're in their like 30s or 40s and they're like, well, it's too late. Like it's too late. Or um, what would you say to that? Well, I'm not going to swear because we're on <laughs> uh, bull hockey maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, um mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I know a lot of people who have changed careers. I had this one friend ask me once, and she says, oh my gosh, I think I'm going, you know, to do this career change, I'm going to have to go back to school. And by the time I'm done, I'm going to be, you know, 45. And my question for her is, well, so how old would you be if you didn't go back to school and make the career change? I mean, you're going to be 45 anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's a lot of trade-offs with women. You know, I'm, I don't have children, so that's, um, that's a factor that I don't have that other people might have. And I have a very supportive husband, which is not always the case, but I just know that it, you know, I had a year when seven people and a cat died. Life is really, really short. Life is really short. And so I just, I just would say you're worth it. You're worth it. And it's, it just is never too late. It really is never too late. I mean, I got this book published now. I'm it's, it took 20 years and, so just the, the, the don't give up, that's a big thing. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there's things you should let go of, but uh, the dreams, uh, don't, don't give up on those. Mm -hmm. way. So you said, um, and I think a lot of women can relate to this, the I'm not good enough or the, I don't know, I had in my head for a long time, I'm not smart enough, like other people are smarter than me, like there's something... I'm fundamentally flawed. Like there's just always something, even when my husband tried to date, tried to date me, I'd be like, Oh, I think you should probably go date someone else. Cause you don't want it. Like there's just, yeah. Like someone else would be better. Like there's something wrong here. Um, but I think the, the strange thing is that a lot of people have some sort of message like that on repeat in their head. They don't realize that other people have something similar happening for them. How did you get yourself out of that? I'm not good enough. And how do you, does it still pop up? Yeah, it definitely still pops up, especially anytime I tried something new. So I stopped working um, in an office environment in 1994. We didn't have email yet. So PowerPoint, I mean, that was not even, you know, thought of, it wasn't even the thought. So a couple months ago, I needed to prepare a PowerPoint presentation. I was terrified. I had no idea. I mean, I'm relatively tech savvy. Yeah. I've used a computer all these years, but you know, it just, it seemed just huge. And um, uh, so all those messages, all those messages. And so I remembered a number of things. One is I, I do meditate. And so to observe the thought arising, watch the thought as it arises and 
if I don't hang on to it or I don't give it any fuel, it will pass away. So watching that, notice where I'm feeling it in my body. Usually for me, it's my throat or my belly. Those are the big places where I feel emotions. And so notice, and for me, it was this kind of strangling feeling, this oh kind of feeling. No, don't have a voice, don't have a voice. So observing that and not panicking and then asking for help, asking someone who knew how to do it. I, I don't know exactly, and maybe it's because both my father and mother were the valedictorian of their high school classes or something, I'm not sure, but, but I kind of came from this family where if you didn't know how to do something automatically, you just gave it to somebody else to do. I mean, I, I, nobody, people didn't teach you things and expect you to, to fail and try again, fail and try again. It was, a, you know, it was a long, hard lesson learned. And so when I was preparing that, I had to prepare to be bad at it and let myself be bad at it. And there are very unpleasant thoughts and body sensations that arise when you fail at something. And I just kept working at it until you know, I asked for help. I got help. And uh, thankfully, my husband had done a number of them. And so I uh, you know, just asked him, okay, can you show me how to do this? And I would have these slides that would have all this stuff all over them, just cluttered, cluttering, all these statistics and bullets and pictures. And, and he would just go, no, 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 no. One thing on a slide, you know, or two things on a slide. And, um, um, and then I would redo it and I, you know, try to fudge it and like, no, no, no. He just kept going back. And, and so it, so that's the thing is that, that being able to withstand the emotion that comes with because the thought usually comes first and there's the emotion that follows and asking for help and knowing that i'm not going to be good at this because i've never done it before mm. so letting myself be a beginner you know letting myself be green at something that still is hard i really like to be an expert thank you very much i have three pieces of paper that say how smart i am and it really is kind of silly so yeah, yeah. Sometimes I hear your words and I'm just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we don't even know each other. But I, so my previous life, I was a kindergarten teacher and I tell this to my clients a lot that it's really scary, but we have to allow ourselves to be a beginner, allow yourself to be a kindergartner and like be okay that you, like a five-year-old does not know how to read when they show up to kindergarten. And it's really scary because <laughs> they're like, I don't know how many times I had five-year-olds, I'll never learn how to read. And it's like, well, no, you just have never learned it in the past five years. And that's okay. Um, but it's scary to not be good at something. We want to be good at the thing. Like, if I'm not good at it, I don't want to do it. Yeah, that's kind of, if I'm not good at it, I'm not going to play. That's, that was always my thing. And I just had to get to a place where I realized I wanted this bad enough. It was sort of the same thing with running, really. Um, I had to find, the joy in it so that it didn't matter that I wasn't that fast. And I, I, I mean, I, you know, I knew when I started again um, that I wasn't doing it for the same reasons. And so, uh, so it made it a little bit different, but still, I mean, there's still days when I'm, you know, I'll pick somebody out of the crowd and think, Oh, I want to beat them. And it's quite ridiculous actually, because we're, you know, we're out of the 200, we're 178 and 179. And so I'm buying for, you know, 178 or something, out of 200, something like that. Maybe, and I. Uh, uh, but but yeah, it's just uh, for me, it's it's helpful not to just try to push it away, but to become aware of it and go, oh, it's that thing again. I'm doing that thing again, and also 
sometimes to thank it because there is some evolutionary thing that thinks, you know, the earthworm brain, something is trying to save me from the dinosaurs or whatever. Yes. Not that they were there. That's a very bad analogy, but you know what I mean? It's just trying to save me from the other hunter that's trying to hunt my tribe or whatever. And so, um, uh, so I thank it and say, I hear that you're trying to, I hear that you're trying to help me. Can you, you know, just give me another mile or just give me, let me just open the file and see what happens. Just bear with me and let's see together what happens. And if I can befriend it as opposed to saying, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause I used to, I, I actually teach writing classes and for a long time I would talk about, you know, killing the, fight the inner critic and it really powerful and do this thing. You need to empower yourself. But finding a place of saying, oh, this is happening for a reason, it thinks it's helping me, and then moving from there has been a much better approach for me. So, I love that. Yes. The, so we hear a lot of that messaging around sugar as well, like oh. kill, you know, um, crush your cravings, crush your sugar dragon. My whole experience with um, Whole30 was like, you know, uh, what was it? Starve your sugar dragon. And I talk about the same thing. What if you befriend your sugar dragon? It turns out the sugar dragon is not this big scary thing it's something that can be befriended and when we do that it's like it's so interesting these words like how these words can power us like one or the other way um oh no there's something else you said i just forgot what i was going to say but it was um oh thinking yes thinking thanking yourself instead of um being angry at my anxiety but just like oh interesting this is trying to protect me from embarrassment. It's trying to protect me, but also in protecting me, it's keeping me small. Right, right. Yeah. And so that's why I think that I, it takes the energy out of it if I say thank you as opposed to, you know, trying to fight it. I, I remember, I can't remember exactly when, but I know I saw an image in some help thing or something of two people standing facing each other and they had their palms of their hands out and they were pushing their hands against each other and so the facilitator asked the one person to keep their hands up and the other person to drop their hands and the person who was pushing just fell forward and so suddenly there was no fight anymore it was just done and so for me i try to to not try to let go of the fight and yeah. and kind of surrender to it and just and thank it. <laughs> There's something about that that just right now that's working. So I like that a lot. And I just think too, when you said about life being short of, you know, we don't know. My great grandfather lived to be over a hundred years old. Like you could live to be that long and be miserable during your hundred years on this planet or live that long and, you know, have this life where you're thankful for the things that are happening and you have like this calming relationship and it's peaceful. Um, you're still doing challenging things and growing, but it's just such a different way to view life and to like our experience on this planet. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a way to hold the, the world or hold life with more loose hands. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm still very compulsive. I can talk a good game, but I still have these issues all the time. They, um, they come up. I just have a better set of tools now to deal with them. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really fortunate to have had a lot of good mentors and be able to um, read a lot. And, and I also have a, my husband is very, um, I don't know, he's just really, like, has, he's smart in an emotional way. And that really helps too. So I learn a lot from him. Yeah. 
Well, um, who are some of your other, your favorite authors or mentors that you think people should check out? Oh, goodness. Well, the, the main mentor that I use with writing is a woman named Natalie Goldberg, and her most famous book is called Writing Down the Bones. So that's where I would start with running. Oh, um, Scott Douglas just wrote uh, Running is My Therapy, which has kind of the science behind my story. He shares a bit of his own story, too, and other people's stories. He has a number of stories in it, but, but he did all the research that, um, that uh, uh, sort of reinforced everything that was my experience. You know, how can I not mention Born to Run? I mean, really? <laughs> but uh, I just read, just totally unrelated to running, I just read the novel The Swan Thieves and just love that it's more about art and things, but it's woven in a way that um, is very intricate. And so, uh, so I, I often read things like that. You know, those are, those are the things that pop into my head right now. I'm sure there's some I'm going to remember later. Um, there's so many running good, good running books. Uh, Barty also, his um, My Life on the Run is hysterical and very easy to read. It's short chapters and funny, funny stories about, about his life. And then um, Ambie Burfoot just did a book, um, like the Woman's Book of Run. Some, I, it's about, about the history of women runners, and that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Oh, and uh, Marathon Woman. Um, gosh, how can I forget her name? <laughs> uh, the Woman from the Boston Marathon. Oh, somebody will have to help me with that, but you know what I mean. But uh, Marathon Woman. Um, that's a great book. It's very well written too. And it's just an amazing story. There's so many. I, that's yeah. probably leave off. <laughs> no, but even just in hearing you name all of these authors, I think that it's really important to think about, you said about like reaching out for help. And sometimes you reach out for help to someone that you see or you can touch or whatever. And sometimes it is just a mentor in a book who you will never meet, but th their writing changes your life. Yeah, that's been my experience with books. That was from the, from when I was very young. In fact, this weekend was my uh, high school reunion. I won't tell you how many years it was. And I went back to my hometown, which is about I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour from here. And I went to the library in my hometown where I used to go when I was in grade school. And it was amazing to just go back there and remember, you know, the safety of being in the stacks with all these books and um, the stories and the words and the knowledge, um, the imagination. So yeah, books are, books have always been home, home to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it sounds like books, so books have always been a big part of your life. Is that what made you want to write a book? Yeah, I, I, I actually heard somebody else say this uh, a few months ago that she loved books so much she wanted to write her own. And that's the first time I had heard it put that way. It wasn't even that I knew what being a writer was, I just wanted to be in that world of books, be part of that world more than just as a reader, be contributing to that. And um, if, I mean, I just cannot remember not wanting to write um, from you know, whenever somebody handed me my first pen and paper when I was little. So mm -hmm. always, always. And, and I grew up in a home where, especially my father, there were always stacks of books around. You know, sometimes they were trashy novels, sometimes they were engineering books. I mean, he had, he had, very uh, broad tastes, eclectic taste. So he was reading everything. So that was a really good, he was a really good role model. Mm -hmm. So um, the title of the podcast is actually You Are a Real Runner. I'm curious, <laughs> when you talk about being an author, did the imposter syndrome ever pop up for you um, or if, as you're on your book tour or anything like that? Well, it always popped up, always. 
um, when I was teaching because, uh, or when I was, um, uh, uh, you know, talking about writing, um, I blog about writing, all of that. It came up all the time because I didn't have a book. I didn't have a book. I had magazine articles, I had essays, I had mm. um, short stories, I, had, I won a poetry contest, um, but I didn't have a book. Still wasn't so, good enough. Yeah, I wasn't, it was always that. And, and I can't tell you what um, a boost it has been to have a publishing company want to publish my book. I mean, I just have to say, it, it has been amazing. Do I still have imposter syndrome? Oh my gosh, yeah, somebody else gets an amazing review. I just actually wrote a blog post for a guest blog post for the Women's National Book Association about that. Uh, oh, it was, <coughs> excuse me, in part about that, about um, you know seeing somebody else's book uh, get a five-star review, seeing somebody else win a contest, his book win a contest. Um, and I still, you know, there's always like a strata classes, whatever, wherever you are, um, in writing and running and with dogs, you know, my dog's better than yours. I mean, anything. So, hang on a second. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I know that, uh, you know, I'm in, in that strata somewhere. Yeah. And my job is to try not to compare. My job is to just try to be right where I'm at, enjoy, you know, sitting here talking to you. What a privilege, what an honor to be able to sit here and talk to you for you to ask me these great questions, just, you know, try to keep my head right where my feet are, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's hard some days. I mean, I get out there and I'm, uh, I talk to these bookstores or I talk to, I don't know, different places. And, um, you know, they don't want every book. There's lots of books. And so they don't want every book. And so sometimes it still feels like rejection. But most of the time, it's really fabulous. So, yeah, yeah it's been a good, it's been a really good, a very, very good roller coaster ride. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm so glad that you said that, that it's still not that, not that it still pops up, but that you told us that it still pops up because I think that for a lot of us, we think, well, once I achieve this, once I, you know, whatever that is, once I, once I uh, run this race or I achieve this time or the scale, once I hit that number on the scale, oh yes, then my, everything is, you know, everything is going to be great in life. And it's like, well, no, there will be something else once you hit that. Once, you know, there will be something else. I was probably, I probably looked the fittest and was the thinnest I had ever been when I was in the psych ward. So there, there's some perspective for you. Um, but yeah, it does still crop up. And again, we just have to develop tools to deal with it. I think it's normal to have that comparison some of us have it worse than others. I grew up in a family where we were always, you know, just not judged, I guess. It was, you know, you're not, there's a bee. Why is there a bee? That kind of thing. And, um, um, and so that does always, it just always does crop up. And, you know, I mean, I, I have heard many best-selling authors, many very successful people um, have that. And with running, after every single race, I still get the blues. I don't care how good it was, whether I hit a PR, uh, whether it was a real goal race, whether it was a blast because we went out of town and did it with it, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter. I always get the blues afterwards. And, um, and so, you know, that's just that, that kind of up and down as part of life. I just am trying not to judge myself for it and trying not to um, 
for me, a lot of it is like, don't panic, just don't panic. <laughs> it's, uh, this is normal, this is normal. Now on the plane with the turbulence, this is normal, this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's so interesting too. I think that with a lot of my clients that are very successful in their careers, it's like that being that A plus 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 student served a purpose, right? Like it got them to where they are in their career. It wouldn't have happened if they were just like, ah, eh, it's okay, whatever. Like that wouldn't happen. It's just that that mentality in every little part of life can paralyze you and not, you can't get anything done because it's never good enough. When I went to law school, that was a real, oh, it was a blow because I had been one of the smartest. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the smartest in high school. I wasn't, definitely was not the smartest in college because um, I went to, I was, well, I was, I went to a public college, um, but I was in the journalism department. It was one of the best journalism schools in the nation. And, uh, but I was still a really good student and I'd done really, really well in the LICP. And I walked into law school and realized that everybody else there had just as good a grades as I did or possibly better. And we'd all done really well in the LSAT. And now here we were all, all in the same pond. So it was, uh, that was a real wake up call. I think it's, I think it's just so important, um, to recognize that that is there, mm -hmm. not demonize it, not right. say, oh, I'm so bad because I have this comparing thing, or, oh, gosh, I have to get rid of this imposter syndrome, and, um, and instead say, wow, there it is again, you know, hello, my friend, um, and also to be curious about it. Notice, for me, I try to notice when does it arise? Yeah. Does it arise with everyone who gets a good review? No. Who does it arise with, and why? and ask those kinds of questions. Not that I'm gonna psychoanalyze myself all the time, but, but if I can just, uh, just notice that that is happening and that it's not all the time, that there yeah. are times when I hold that and I don't compare at all. Um, so just to be very much awake to it. And again, I struggle with it just like everybody else does. I just keep trying to develop uh, better tools to handle it. Yeah, that's wonderful, awesome. So tell us a little bit more, what, uh, what does running look like for you right now? Are you a casual runner? Are you in training for a specific race? What does it look like? Well, I'm always, not always, but I often am in training for a race because I do better with the training schedule <clears throat> and it needs to be a quote, real training schedule, which means it has a race at the end. Yeah. Um, so my plan is to run the Columbus full in October and I'm on that training schedule. I've had to miss some of the long runs because of traveling and some other things. And so I'm, I'm hoping to do a long run later in the week. And I'm kind of in the let's see how that goes phase. Yeah. But I still run three or four days a week. Um, it's, I've been doing some low heart rate training where it's really, really hard on my ego. Really hard. <laughs> Even though I'm already at the back of the pack, now I'm like at the back of the back of the pack. And uh, so I've been trying to keep my heart rate under a particular number. That's actually been really, really good for my nervous system because I'm already really cranked up with book events, reading, yeah. travel, lots and lots of um, you know uh, written interviews where I'm writing all the time, lots of time in the computer. So I'm very, very cranked up a lot because of very, very positive adrenaline, but it's still cortisol shooting through my yeah. you know, body all the time. So to not have running also stress my body has been good. 
um, so that running is really very relaxing. I will be disappointed if I choose not to do the Columbus Marathon because it's the 40th year and it was the first race I did, the first marathon I did, and it's just you know, it's my hometown race. Yeah. And all that. But I also know that I have um, a number of friends that will be their first full. So if I choose not to run the full, I will probably also not do the half. And what I'll do is I'll stay on the course and uh, be supported to them, which is a very great thing to do. I and mean, that's so generous. I, I haven't done it enough. And I've had other people show up at, you know, didn't you know they're going to be there? And bam, there you are. And oh my gosh, you made mile 22, you know, things like that. So, um, um, so we'll see. But, uh, but running, it's, it's never, I don't want to say it's taken a back seat to the book because it just is too important. It's, it's yeah. like medicine for me. Um, but I also know that I've had to find a, a different balance because I was trying to do both of those things just too hard, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There, you can't have, they can't both be number one, priority number one. No, they really can't. I, uh, I, can't remember if my husband said it. Someone said that that the book is your marathon this year. The book is yeah. so that's what kind of been. like last year. I didn't. I I was I was uh, I had been running halves. Try to run a half in every state. I was up to eighteen, and now I was doing maybe a half every other month or every three months. And the book um, uh, everything came together in August of last year. So it's just been about a year now, and I you know didn't run another race for. A, a long time, yeah. than, you know, the occasional 5k charity run, something like that. But uh, I just didn't, I, I couldn't, I just didn't have the time to train. And I just, you know, I was still doing miles, but I just had to completely focus on the book. And that's how it should be. I mean, there are just times when you have to take a step back. And it was, it, the book was the most important thing. So we, so last year, we traveled a lot. And it was like the first year that I didn't train for a race. And it was also like, oh, am I like, I have this podcast about running and now I'm not even like running as much. Like people are going to, people are going to call me out for being, you know, a fake. And then it was like, no, it just wasn't number, you know, priority number one. It's okay. No one, no one called me a fake. No one. Yeah. I can't quite imagine that. <laughs> I, I just love the name of your podcast because that's one of the themes in my book is well, now am I a real runner? Mm. You know, I bought this thing. Does that make me a real runner? I ran this distance. Does that make me a real runner? And that was just a question all the way through. It still some days is, but yeah. Yeah. I, and the answer, of course, is you are a real runner if you run. Yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's, um, I think it was from the book Atomic Habits that I just read, and I started journaling with this, but it was like, each time I blank, I am a blank. And oh. it's like, yeah, like, like anytime you do so, and that was a big thing, like everything in my life. I'm like, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm really this. I'm not really a podcaster. I'm not really a coach. I'm not really a business owner. And it's like, well, each time you do this, you build more evidence that you are that thing. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's exactly my philosophy about it. Yeah. And again, I forget, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. So, um, where can people find the book? Well, it, oh, I love it because I'm supposed to say it is available wherever fine books are sold. Um, but it's on all the outlets. So it's on, you know, indie bookstores. It's on, on Amazon, um, Books A Million, um, Indie Books, Barnes & Noble. Basically, any place online that you would buy a book, you can buy it. Um, it is available at some libraries. If your local bookstore doesn't have it, you can ask them. They can order it. If your running store doesn't have it, you can ask them. They can order it because it's in 
several running stores uh, here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I think it's still in a store in California. I'm headed to Lexington. It's going to be at uh, John's Run Walk Shop in Lexington. Um, so pretty much any place, if you ask them for Depression Hates a Moving Target, they can order it. And, you know, Amazon's always good because it's usually cheaper there, although I really like to support the indie bookstores. Yeah. So if you can get it at an indie bookstore, you can order it online at an indie bookstore. And most of them are discounted, so you're not necessarily going to pay the full retail price. But uh, uh, there is an ebook, and there will be on September 10th an audiobook. We are we have a, uh, an actress recording that right now. I'm very it's with, through Tantor Media, and I'm pretty sure that will be available um, on all the online outlets in addition to Tantor's website. But that that was really exciting too. The two biggest things I think were when I looked on the library catalog. Um, and there were uh, 31 holds on 16 copies of the book. And then when, T when uh, Mango emailed me to say that Tantor had bought the audio rights, that was just, I mean, that was just, I, I just, I don't even know how to explain it. That was just like, that was, it was big. So, yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's so Thank cool. You very much. It has been, like I said, I, I'm still, a lot of the time there, I'm still in the pinch me phase. So, yeah. Yeah. Live there. That's a great, it's great to feel that like excitement and it be, yeah, just new and exciting and fun. Well, let me say one more thing. Yeah. yeah. Because there are all those sites, the easiest way to find the place you would like, that you would prefer to buy it is to go to my website, which is nitasweeney.com. And, uh, and there's an about the book page and that has all the links you could possibly want. Um, it doesn't have the link in Romania, which came up on, Google alerts yesterday, and we're not totally sure about that. But, um, but it has, uh, you know, all the book links that most people would want there. Wonderful, great. Well, I will have links um, in the show notes for everyone to connect with you. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Oh, it's been wonderful talking to you. It just feels like we have a very similar philosophy, and uh, uh, it's just really been great. I, you ask great questions, and and you're you're really smart. You're really smart about this stuff. So good job. <laughs> Uh, thank you i'm gonna write that in my journal a couple times yes yes make a vision board <laughs> whatever, yeah <laughs> whatever all right thank you hey quick heads up that the imperfect eating facebook group is growing and it's so exciting every friday i do a live training in there uh, based on your questions so we cover different topics like stress eating emotional eating and so you're going to want to be a part of this facebook group if you are saying things like oh my gosh i'm still struggling with stress eating or i just love food too much i can't do a diet because i love it too much and i just eat constantly or, you know, how do I know when enough is enough? I, I eat and then I go overboard. Or, you know, I can do all or I can do nothing. I can be strict or it's well, well, less. But, like, what does balance actually look like? So if these are things that you're struggling with, definitely check out the show links, live trainings every single Friday at 12 p.m. And then you can submit your questions, something you're struggling with. Can't wait to meet you in there. Take care.